Today is the 10th of July, ladies and gentlemen. What a smart pastor you have, huh? I'm telling you the truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> Today is the 10th of July. And the 10th of July is a very special day to me for many reasons. One of the reasons is the lady you see here on the picture. It's my wife, Simone, and it's her birthday today. It's her 36th birthday. She's not sitting here right now. She already was at church in the morning. But I love this girl so much. She won my heart, and it's her birthday today. It's also the 10th of July. It's the day where I took the risk and the stand to proclaim my love to her. It's the day where we started a relationship. Yeah. 15 years ago, yeah. And about 14 years ago, not on this day, but a little later in August, we got married. And um, for that day, uh, it's a special day. So I don't know about you, but you know, marriage, I can say from my own experience is crazy sometimes. It's insane that people get married because, you know, marriage, everybody knows that marriage has the power to, to, to push a thorn into someone else's heart and to hurt a person like never before. Marriage has the potential to end up in a disaster, right? And probably everybody here, except for the lovebirds right here in the second row that just got legally married and they will have their wedding on the Philippines soon, uh, ex except for those two people. Everybody here probably has stories like where people were really getting hurt, where a marriage ended up in a disaster. It was kind of like a mud wrestling over money, over having right, and it collapsed, and so much pain and such a disaster at the end. You know, I think, to be honest, before a wedding, people should warn the couple. You know, when the marriage ceremony, the wedding ceremony starts, the parents should be standing outside the church and should have wallpapers like this. Daughter, rethink. Or don't do it. Or maybe, you know, maybe the bridesmaid or the groomsman, they should start when they enter. When the bride enters the church, they should hold up a wallpaper. Danger zone, be aware. Say no, maybe the brothers say, say no, don't, don't say it. Or if they are already standing and the pastor is about to have the message, there should be a wallpaper. Hey, please, quick, kidnap the pastor. Otherwise, it ends up in a disaster, you know? <laughs> Marriage could end up in a disaster. There is no other place where people can get wounded so deeply, get dis disappointed so severely, and end up so sad than in a failed marriage, right? And we know those stories. And yet, the courageous still do it. People still do it. So you could ask yourself, how in the world and why are people taking such a high risk? And I believe there's only one answer to this question. I believe there's only one answer because this couple their vision of a great marriage is higher 
and bigger. Their dream of having a nice and awesome marriage is bigger than the risk they are taking, right? Than the danger they are putting themselves into. That's the only answer to start a marriage with the hope I want to start entering into a fellowship with my spouse where we can share life with each other, where we can, where we can enter into a, an adventure and write a story of our lives. So love at the end of the day is worth taking a risk, people would say, right? Love is worth taking a risk. And last week we were talking about exactly the same thing, that God is a risk-taking God. You know, we were talking last week that God spoke and the universe was created, but then he was kneeling down and he was forming out of the mud. He was forming, kind of like a potter, was forming mankind, the first human being, and I was breathing life into his nostrils. And then the first thing that this human being was seeing was the face of God. And we were seeing last week that we are designed to be in a loving relationship with our Creator. So God took this risk. He is letting himself into a story, an unpredictable story with mankind. He is making himself so vulnerable, taking such a high risk. And I want to talk about this today. The topic of today is life with risks, how God is taking risks with mankind. So I, I think we have to understand um, the question is not with God creating the world. Could he have created a world where everybody is dancing after his own will? You know, kind of like we are robots or marionettes, you know, like with little puppets. Uh, he probably could have done this. That is not the question. But the question is, what kind of world does fit him? What kind of mankind, what kind of creation suits his personality? I don't know if you have heard about the uh, movie and maybe you've watched it or read the book, The Stepford Wives. Very funny uh, movie. The Stepford Wives is about a story where um, a couple, a family, is um, moving into a, into a new village called Stepford. And um, the wife of the family is getting friends with all the other um, wives there. And, and she, is, she is observing these wives and she is getting a little bit suspicious because all these wives, they are, they are so weird, you know. They are acting so tame. They are always saying yes to whatever the husband says. They are um, submitting with everything what the husband says. And then they find out the, the mother of this family and the father of the of, uh, they are finding out that the men are circling a secret circle where they somehow made it happen that their wives are submitting and are basically controlled from them. You don't find out if they are just exchanged, the wives, uh, the Stepford wives are just being exchanged with robots or um, there was some brain surgery that's in the newest movie, you know, they did some brain surgery. So they were behaving however the man wants it. And I don't know, I want to talk a little bit to you husbands tonight, you know. Who of you wants that? You know, do you really want a wife like that? Do you want a wife where she is every day um, cooking your favorite meal, every day 
bringing you a beer out of the fridge. Like tonight when you watch the final game, she's bringing you a nice ice-cold beer and she's watching soccer with you, but she's not talking with you. You can watch soccer, right? And every stupid idea you have, she says yes and amen. <laughs> Who wants a wife like that? When I look into your eyes, husbands, I see beaming lightning eyes and that makes me a little bit afraid because the right answer is no. <laughs> you don't want a wife like that. Because if you have a wife like that, it's kind of re reacting like a robot, you would not have the beauty of marriage. You would not have a counterpart. You would not encounter someone else. You would just encounter yourself. When you look into the mirror, when you look into the eyes of your wife, you were just looking into the mirror. You were just looking at the desires of your own heart. And you would lose the possibility of an experience of real love, right? And that is exactly what God does. So the question is not, what kind of world God could have created. Could he have created robots? Yeah, he could have. But it doesn't fit him. It says in the Bible in 1 John 4 verse 8, it says about God, God is love. That his, that's, that's his being. That's his characteristic. That's what, what he is. And then the writer of John is going in a little bit more into detail and he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So God is love and with his son coming into his world, he himself showed himself. God has a face, God has a name and his name is Jesus. That's what he is. That's how God is. So with Jesus, you can see God, how he is, how he reacts, how God speaks, what he's all about and what he desires. And when we see, when we read the stories of Jesus in the Bible, we see what he's all about. He's all about restoration. He's all about healing people. He's all about relationships and fellowship. And he wants that. And he himself, being God and at the same time being a man on earth, is making himself so much vulnerable. He's making himself ready for disappointment, ready for rejection, ready for, for people not liking him. And that's exactly what happened When you read the story of Jesus, you know, people disappointed him, people betrayed him, people rejected him, people put him on the cross, slaughtered him, spit him in the face, crucified him, and murdered him. God made himself so vulnerable. That's the person, that's the characteristic of God crazy. What kind of creation did God create when we see the story of Jesus happening? It's crazy. And we know the story, you know, we know what, 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 what they did with Jesus. And I think it's a creation where God himself is making himself so vulnerable. It's a creation where God is entering into history and he wants, he wants to write a real love story, a real story ups and downs, with stuff happening with us, with you and me. And you, you, you can see that in the Bible throughout, throughout the whole Old Testament and the New Testament. All these stories. I want to make one little um, story. So God created the world. We were seeing that already. He created him as man and woman. He created him, us 
in his own image. We are created in his own image. How cool is that, huh? Wow. And then the fall of man came, sinful, Adam and Eve, all that stuff was happening. And, and then people wanted to have, they didn't want to talk with God anymore. They said, hey, back to Moses, they said, hey, Moses, you talk with God. We, we, we don't want to talk with God anymore. And then God, um, he gave prophets into the world. So, and one of these prophets I want to talk about, a prophet was someone kind of like a megaphone, you know, megaphone, God's voice into the story of mankind. So God was sending prophets. One of them was Samuel. And Samuel was getting a little bit old. Samuel was getting an old man and, um, and, and then he wants to, his sons to be his successors, but the elders of the people of Israel didn't like that. So they were saying, hey, Samuel, you are old. First Samuel 8 verse 5. Your sons don't live as you do, so appoint a king to lead us. We want a king just like the kings all of, just like the kings all of the other nations have. We want a king. We want to have a king, you know. And that sounds a little bit harmless, that wish. But it's actually a big thing that they are doing right now because what they are saying to Samuel and what they are saying to God is, God, we don't want you to be our king anymore. We want to have a human being telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We want to have our own king. You don't talk to us anymore, God. You're not our king anymore. We want a real king, someone we can talk to and someone we can see. We want to have a king with a real crown. Wow. So Samuel obviously didn't like that. God obviously didn't like that. Samuel was getting frustrated and he was pulling himself back for some advice and says, God, what are, you, what are we going to do? You know, they want, they want to have a king and they say, my sons are not behaving right. You know, I'm getting old. What, what should I do? And then God gives Samuel a remarkable advice. The Lord told him, listen to everything the people are saying to you. You are not the one they have turned their backs on. It's not you, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. I am the one they do not want as their king. They are doing just as they have always done. <laughs> now you see God getting frustrated, you know. Him and he having emotions, getting frustrated. They are just doing just as they always have done. They have deserted me and served other gods. They have done that from the time I brought them out of Egypt until this very day. Now they are deserting you too. So God is seeing through their motive. They want to have a king, but actually they don't want him anymore to be their king. And he's getting frustrated because they are rejecting him. Can you read, can you see, can you feel the frustration God has in this story? That fits them, you know. That, oh, they always have been like that, you know. That's the biggest struggle I have with them. For him, I can, for him that feels like a hit in the face, like a spit in the face. He was already spitting at before Jesus came on this earth from his own people. But it's so interesting because what, what is God saying then? He's saying, let them have what they want. It's not what I want. It's not my plan. I want to talk to the people face to face. Now 
They chose prophets, okay, that's okay with me as well, as long as I stay the king. But now they want to have a king. It's not good for me. I don't want this, but let them have their way. But if they want to have a king, God already has a plan B or plan C, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C. They already has a plan C in his mind. If they want to have a king, let me make sure that I give them a good king. So he was watching throughout the nations, which could, whom could I choose? And he found Saul. And Saul became the first king. And um, so they, they were giving Saul as their new king. And, and Samuel presented him in front of the people. And Saul was a God-fearing man. He was taller and stronger and a great leader of the nations. And then we read, um, the people shout. The people were shouting, long live the king. Now they have the king. Wow. An amazing king, you know. Now we have Saul, an amazing king. But Saul ended up as a Monday product as well, you know. He started out good <laughs> on Sunday, but on Monday it was not good anymore with Saul because he rejected. He was actually turning his back from God as well and doing his own stuff, getting a little bit crazy. And, and now here is Saul, the first king, resisting God and Samuel still living, having another conversation with With, um, with Saul, actually, because he needs to tell Saul off now, because what are you doing, Saul? So he says to Saul, Samuel, the prophet, what have you done, Saul? You have done a foolish thing. You are stupid, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, that's interesting as well, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. That was his plan with you, Saul. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out a, a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of, of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Another disappointment for God. Picking a king, hoping it's the right one and he will lead the people into the presence of God, making something great, but didn't work. And then Samuel is... is, is Out of, out of breath and out of, doesn't want, know what to see. And, and, and God is so, so disappointed. And he says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And he says, God says, I regret. And you have to read this. God is frustrated. He feels rejected. And he says, I regret that I have met Saul, king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. God himself appointed Saul as a king. It didn't work. A real story, right? He hoped it would work, but it didn't work. There's actually many verses in the Bible where, where God is frustrated and he, he regrets stuff, but he already has another plan. And he has a very touching moment with Samuel because Samuel is, is frustrated as well. He says, I'm your, I'm your voice. I'm your megaphone, God. They want to have a king. King doesn't really work then what should I do now, you know, maybe, maybe we failed, maybe the people of Israel, it's the end of the game, game over, you know, maybe you come down and you judge us all and then it's over, you know, and then Samuel, God has with Samuel a very, kind of like a counseling session, you know, and he says, he says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I already have a plan D. Plan A doesn't work. Plan B doesn't work. Plan C doesn't work. But plan D works. And plan D is plan David, a new king. And I want to end this storytelling with the prophets and the kings right here because you know, if you read the Bible, what happens with plan D, with plan David. God had, he had an amazing amount of patience and grace on the life of David as well. That's how God is, you know. So what is the conclusion of all this, the stories of all of that I think God is making himself so vulnerable, so close, so being in connection with his people. And he pulls it through with us. He doesn't give. You read that story after story in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes people come to me and they ask me um, in secret, because they don't want to admit that, but they ask me in secret, why do you think the Bible is so thick? You know? The Bible is not slim, the Bible is not plump, the Bible is fat, right? The Bible is really fat. Why in the world could not God make it a little bit shorter? Can God, God not come to the point, you know? Why does he need to write such a long story? A book, you know, in our times of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, people articulate short, they come to the point. God, can you not come to the point? Yes, I think God can come to the point. If it was up to God, I think the, the Bible would have been like a little flyer. Front page and back page. The first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. It's not God who doesn't come to the point. It's us who cannot really make it. You know, It's us who are messing up. It's our stubbornness, our failure to listen, our not wanting, our rejection that makes the Bible so thick, right? If you read the Bible, it's always the same story, you know. God coming up with another plan, the people don't like the plan, and then he comes up with another plan, and then there's another story, another king, another prophet, another thing, you know. That's the thickness of the Bible. So I don't think the Bible is that thick. The Bible is that thick because God cannot come to the point, but it's because God doesn't give up on us, right? He's not finished yet. He continues to write story with us. He still loves us, and he's so creative. He's coming up all the time with new, with new plan C's and, and G's and H's and all these, all these plans, you know. Crazy how God enters into our stories. God is taking huge risks all the time to present himself to us. God is always stepping into the story of our lives. And he always has, during the last centuries, to make a connection again with us. And for him, it's worth it. And ultimately, he's making himself so vulnerable, but he's not powerless. He is... You, you can reject God, but he won't give up on you. He will never turn his back on you. You can turn your back on him. He will never turn his back on you. He has proven that. And that brings us ultimately back to the person of Jesus. You know, he creates us with his love. 
to have a love relationship, not to control us or manipulate us. He's putting himself in our shoes when he comes in the person of Jesus Christ to win back the heart of mankind. The cross is God's ultimate plan. So Jesus came into our stories. Jesus came and gave his life. And even when Jesus rose again, you know, before Jesus died on the cross, Peter denied him. One of his best friends rejected him. He denied him. When Jesus rose again, Jesus did directly go to Peter again and won his heart over. And he said himself and said, Peter, you will be the cornerstone of the church. I will write history with you. The Pharisees, the leaders of the religious belief back then, they put him on the cross They judged him. They didn't want him. And after Jesus rose again, he met one of the greatest Pharisees and persecutors. His name was Saul. And he met himself. And Saul became Paul, one of the biggest missionaries on earth. That is our God, always stepping into the story of mankind, trying to win our hearts over to have this relationship. Don't let yourself be fooled. God never gives up on you. He never gives up on you. And we read in the Bible, just like spectators, we were looking at that verse last week already in Hebrews, just like spectators in the stadium cheer on the competition, these witnesses, all these people in the Bible, all these heroes of faith, they are example for our battles. So what, what are we going to do? So we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he showed us how to begin the race and reach the goal victoriously. He knows how to do that. Jesus made it all happen. My daughter, Eowyn, she has, um, she always had a, a, a favorite doll. Her name is Lucy. And uh, you see her here when she was three years old. Uh, she always had uh, so much fun. Lucy was her best friend, you know. She was reading books for her, and she loved it. She loved spending time with Lucy, her doll. <laughs> and um, one day we were on a, on a family trip. We, we said, let's go for an adventure. Let's go to the Rheinfall, you know, to Schaffhausen. The Rheinfall, you see the Rheinfall there on the screen. The biggest waterfalls in Europe, right? And uh, amazing waterfall. And really like a, a cool thing. And then there's this little um, Schloss, it's called Schlössli Wörth, a little castle you see there. Um, you can watch the Rheinfall um, from that. You can walk over the bridge. There's a nice restaurant. You can have ice cream. That's what we did, you know. And then we were walking there and we were going on a boat to the Rheinfall, coming back again. And then we were walking, we were walking over the bridge again. And all of a sudden, my daughter Eowyn, she threw Lucy over the bridge into the waters, you know. I thought, oh my goodness, what's going on with this little girl? And she was out of her mind. I did, she didn't know. She was starting to cry. My Lucy, my Lucy. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, there goes your Lucy, you know. They, they game over, you know. Let's, let's pray and let's buy another Lucy, you know. Dolls are replaceable. <laughs> uh, 
but she didn't want to, so we were trying with a stick, didn't really work, you know, and then my wife was looking very serious into my eyes, and she says, Bjorn, you gotta do what you gotta do now. This is gonna be a teaching moment, father to daughter. I thought, okay, listen to your wife. So, so I was walking over the bridge and walking down, and I was getting rid of all, you know, there were, there were hundreds of people. It was a sunny, warm day, hundreds of people, you know, watching this scenario now. So I was getting rid of my clothes. I didn't have a bathing suit. I was in my underwear, you know, there. So I was about to dive into the water. Then I realized there is a whole school of fishes, big fishes, like piranhas or the white shark, you know. So I was a little bit nervous and afraid. I was getting into the water, swimming, and then I felt like fishes coming to my calf and my leg. It felt very ugly, you know. I was, <laughs> what's going on? So I was swimming as fast as I could, you know, kind of like a Baywatch, you know, lifeguards. And I got Lucy uh, with the Baywatch Bay under my, you know, trying to rescue Lucy, you know, the fishes behind me, you know. Oh, it was a horrible situation, you know. And then I finally reached the shore again and I was getting out of the water. I did it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's what actually, that same thing was happening. The whole people on the bridge were applauding, you know. Wow, what a father, you know. What a father. <laughs> so... I was getting out of the water in my underwear. People were applauding. Awen was standing there. My wife was standing there. She was taking a video, you know, iPhone video, you know, teachable moment, you know, you can watch. So I was about to give Lucy back to Awen. I gave her to Awen, and when she had Awen in her arms, she pushed Lucy away, and then it, Lucy fell into the water again. I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening, you know? Maybe it was because Lucy was cold and, 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 and wet, you know. But honestly, I felt so rejected at that moment. So, kind of like almost naked standing there, people applauding. I'm giving Lucy back to my daughter and she throws her back into the water. So, I had to do what I had to do. Go back to the water, back into the piranha <laughs> ocean. I got her back, it was not that far that she threw her and I gave her back. She was crying and I gave her back, said, it's all, it's all okay, it's all okay. It's just a doll and you have her back, you know. <laughs> so we were hugging each other, we were going into the, into the car and, um, and then Eowyn said, can I watch the movie, can I watch the movie? So I gave her my iPhone, she was watching the movie, how I rescued her Lucy, you know. And then accidentally she erased the, mo the movie. I thought, oh my goodness, I wanted to show that maybe on her wedding later, you know. As a <laughs> so movie gone. <laughs> and then it struck me. It was, I think it was a teaching moment for me, not only for her. That's how we deal with God sometimes, you know. He does everything. He's making himself so vulnerable, so ready to be rejected. He gave his only son hanging naked on the cross taking the biggest risk on earth for humanity and sometimes we are just erasing that 2000 years ago we already had a savior we're just erasing that don't even think about that or don't even let that draw into our hearts 
I want to pray with you in a second and respond to that thought that God is a risk-taking God. He wants to conquer your life. He wants to conquer your heart. He wants so desperately be in a relationship with you. He did everything. And he's not finished with you. He has all kinds of plans. If plan A doesn't work, he's coming up with plan B. He's always two or three steps ahead of you. When you think you failed, he already is knitting another plan, coming up with something else. And maybe tonight it's time for you to take a risk and respond to the risk God took for you.